Welcome to What The If. I am Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, and uh, my partner, Matthew Stanley, historian of science, is off on assignment today. Science history is being made, and he is hunting it down. But I'm very excited to have... It's an all-documentary filmmaker panel today on What The If. Jacob and Carolina are here. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having us. Good morning. Why don't you introduce yourself to um, the, the world. By the way, we have a very international audience. It's very exciting. So say hello to our fellow, what we call our fellow ifers. Well, hello, fellow ifers. I'm Jacob Okada, uh, and I have worked in documentary for maybe 15 years. And uh, Carolina and I made a feature documentary called Painting, Painting the Way to the Moon and a narrative feature called Anya. And Phil, how did I meet you? That's so we? weird. I think it was through Jean Chen. Jean Chen, wonderful editor. Illustrious editor. Friend of Ang Lee. Friend of Ang Lee. She's edited a lot of movies. A lot. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I, I guess because she knew you were making a space movie, and I'm a space oh, nerd. I'm a no. sucker for all things space, space and movie. So it was a combo. <laughs> and Carolina, how are you? How what, what was your role in uh, in this epic? Uh, these two documentaries. Good morning, fellow ifers. Um, my name's Carolina Taylor, and I'm an applied cultural anthropologist by training. And I got involved in filmmaking back in um, 2012 with the very start of the, doc the space documentary you're talking about, Painting the Way to the Moon. And I came on as first just as a sounding board and then as a producer. And I helped produce different scenes and sequences for the film, this cross-country trip that we took following um, mathematician and artist Ed Bell Bruno's journey and discovery um then as we were wrapping up painting the way to the moon um jacob and i were really caught up in this idea of like what's it like to be in the middle of a lived scientific discovery um and kind of it, we have these narratives about brilliant men do science on their own and it's like all on the shoulders of one individual when in reality they're um, working with and with the scientific history and experience of many, many other people. And oftentimes the discoveries are accidental and messy and they just get smoothed over in the retelling. Um, so we got really fascinated by this and what it might be like to be at the moment of an accidental discovery and live through that from the perspective of the scientists and the perspective of the research participants or subjects. And that's where the idea for I should say that's what was going around in our head whenever we had the idea for Anya which is actually a fiction film that's grounded in anthropology and genetics and kind of our understanding of the scientific process when was painting uh, the way to the moon made that was, uh... <clears throat> that was 2012 to 2014 right and it was wrapped up in like June of 2014 and we started Anya in May of 2014 right Painting the Way to the Moon documentary about Ed Del Bruno, who, by the way, will be a guest coming up on What the If. Very, very colorful guy. 
is going to be amazing. And uh, <laughs> um, then uh, Anya, now fiction film uh, coming out. And the topic, what, so Anya, this, here's the thing. The subject of Anya is our what the if today. Because like all great science fiction stories, all great science fiction stories begin with a what if. Uh, or as we would say, what the if, because we have an attitude about it, you see. <laughs> you know, the whole what the if, what if concept uh, is sort of inspired by that process of writing a science fiction story. I always love that, it, you know, people, the science fiction writer uh, has to think of a what if and then has to go research it. And in that process, they're learning real science, right? So um, just tell us what's the, what is the what the if of Anya. The what the if of Anya is, was actually posed to me by Jacob one Saturday morning. So Jacob and I are actually partners in marriage as well as um, filmmaking at this point. So just one Saturday morning, he asks me, what if multiple species of humans existed on Earth right now? Awesome. What if multiple species of humans existed on Earth right now? That's an awesome question. And so what is it, Jacob, that in, where did that come from? I was working uh, as a story producer on a, on a television show about an exotic veterinarian. I was interested in how the exotic vet would be able to use, you know, human drugs on animals that were wildly different because of, you know, the biological similarities, you know, we, that we share across species. Um, that wasn't the case for every species of animal, but that was, it was like, for instance, she was using propofol on uh, on a tortoise and propofols, you know, the drug that Michael Jackson was uh, overdosed on. Whoa. So, so this, uh, the, by the the idea <laughs> that Michael Jackson, world famous <laughs> dancer <laughs> and a tortoise. So the tortoise thought he could be another Michael Jackson. More or less. <laughs> Can a tortoise moonwalk? Very slowly. Very slowly. Yeah. Just like on the moon. Right, just like, <laughs> um, I think so. There were it was just like I was just um, interested in like all the similarities that we share across different species, and and then just the what it, what is the definition of a of a species? How how do we define them? It's just kind of this weird taxonomical question that I never really took that seriously, and I've always found it interesting that we have, uh, uh, you know. One, two, three, four, five, you know, hundreds of uh, species of cat or, you know, whatever. And then there's just, you know, us. Right now. Right now. But it wasn't always that way. And I think he knew that as an anthro anthropologist, when I teach kind of an introduction to anthropology class, we have to cover a, a wide range of stuff, including a little bit of human evolution. And at different points in our history, there have been multiple species of humans walking around. Like, you know, similar, 
similar descent or descended from similar branches, but they couldn't get together and reproduce and have viable offspring. So you count them as different species. And some of these species that we were thinking were, or some of these groups that we were thinking of as different species around the time that we started Anya, we were finding out from genetics, they weren't really isolated genetically. They weren't really different species. Like this is around the time that we were finding out that Neanderthals actually passed on their DNA to us, to modern Homo sapiens sapiens, that we care, like, as a European descendant, I have about 4% of my DNA is from Neanderthals. Well, that would be high, but yeah. <laughs> but for, but yeah. for Asians and Europeans, it's around 2 to 4% of your DNA is from, from Neanderthals. Um, so we were finding out about these kind of things at the same time that we were finishing up painting the way to the moon and he's asking this big what the if questions and i found it very i mean I, I find it interesting to think about um like the cultural implications of of you know of being the uh not just the apex predator but also you know we, we're not sharing we're not sharing resources with any species that are, that's like us, really. And so we interact with the environment quite differently, and, and we have mythologies around how different and special we are. And what would happen to, you know, Genesis um, or Adam and Eve if we had another group who couldn't uh, procreate with us, uh, you know, that might screw with people's you know, notion of their um, specialness, for lack of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> right, or, or uniqueness. So, Unique. um, uh, right, it'd be crowded at the top of the evolutionary mountain. There's exactly. another, there's, a, there's some Neanderthals up here trying to push us off. Trying to push us <laughs> off. And, uh, well, yeah, and also... Um, I just from a like kind of an, another angle like uh, how would we discover this other group so like to us it seems the most likely that you know like what about infertility lots of people can't have kids together and they don't know why it's always just chalked up to you know random chance or whatever but we're yeah but we're getting more and more data from fertility tests and heredity tests and other dna tests that's accumulating into databases with um some of which is accessible to investigators so at some point an investigator might look at this growing mound of dna data and ask the question are any of these are there patterns of infertility that actually fall upon um distinct, distinct groups. groups that at some point shared a common geographic origin like did these people actually come from a common place and evolve in isolation and genetic isolation and are actually fertile with each other but not with others could they be considered a distinct species of humans right so at the same time that we were working on paying away the moon which is about this like brilliant mathematician slash painter ed bel bruno um and his his looking back at his life and so, to some extent self-mythologizing of, of this big scientific discovery that he made you know we also saw that he had 
a, you know, a colleague slash competitor who muddied up his story and which we found really interesting. And so we wanted to explore in a narrative way how an accidental scientific discovery might might be made and how it could cause all sorts of like kind of ethical problems. You know, so like in, in our in Anya, you know, you have a couple who are trying to have a kid and they can't and they discover that, you know, there's a a, a, a biological basis for the infertility. And, you know, the scientist discovers that and he's quite interested in that, but he doesn't really care about the infertility part that much. He just wants to collect more data from, you know, people who might have this variant. Well, he's an evolutionary geneticist, so he's really interested in the evolutionary track. And this whole modern question of, can I have kids with somebody else, is outside his wheelhouse. <laughs> so, uh, so your what the if quickly evolved from uh, what if there well, well I love this this is this is the this is the big follow on problem that develops what if so it's what if there were so basically what if Neanderthals were still around right. right. Or, or oh, I see what you're saying. Descendants of Neanderthals, are, right? And um, well, that's the that's the comparison. There aren't any Neanderthals in the film. This is, oh, okay. We created, we created a completely fictional, separate species of humans that's just separated by a single gene. But we right. We can very, talk more about that. But it's it's the same idea. It was very kind of you to not want to slander the <laughs> Neanderthals. <laughs> Because they get enough bad press from what is it? There's an insurance commercial with the the caveman or whatever. Yeah, actually, another movie out there that looks pretty cool called William that um, takes the idea of like having a Neanderthal baby and bringing it up uh, into adulthood. Now, I think most of the film happens when he's kind of it's kind of a coming of age story as a Neanderthal in contemporary America. That's a coming of eon story. So, okay, right. So, so, uh, right. What if there were descendants? What, what basically what you're saying is n- not if, what if the um, other species still existed in its full form, but if basically in our DNA, uh, there might be some people that had a little bit more of the other species. So a little bit of our species and, a, and then there's someone else. Basically it's becomes a, um, a rom-com is that a romantic uh, comedy no uh we call it we call it a sci-fi love story a sci-fi love story or like the worst tinder the worst <laughs> experience, experience ever yeah. <laughs> yeah meet someone fall in love find out you can't have a baby and then find out that he's been keeping secrets from you about where he and his people are from because they're just reclusive and they're trying to protect themselves and then find out that your mother-in-law is still alive and you haven't met her several years into a marriage and that she and her people are not so keen on your husband and because he left and has been like dating you and marrying you well you're you're skipping the whole cultural uh expression of the biological difference so the curse so this is what yeah. we were. In, this is actually what we were interested in playing around with, which is imagine if you 
if you were part of a group and you couldn't procreate outside of that group, what sort of cultural reasons would you come up with to explain it? Right. What 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 religion? And you have, and this uh, is where the yeah. science comes in a bit too. You have to keep in mind that for so we again we invented a, a species. So this the idea is that you have to go far enough back in time for a mutation that would affect fertility with the main Homo sapiens sapiens group to spread among an entire isolated population. So we go back 10,000 years or so and place it in an island off of the coast of Caribbean, which is just mostly backstory that we nod to in the film, but it, it helps provide cultural richness about like a story for the scientists to investigate. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that over time, a group of people like way before the Spanish colonization arrived on this island and passed around a gene to the, um, that affected their fertility with people not from the same group to the point that eventually became prominent and then dominant in the group so that when the Spanish arrived, they come head, head to head with another group of people that is raping and pillaging and try intermarrying and doing everything that happened as part of the conquest and the, the you know great Colombian exchange <laughs> and um yeah and so they find the narval find that's what we call these fictional people that they're not able to have kids with the spanish and what's going on and the spanish discover that there's this group of weirdos on the islands that doesn't that doesn't create kids when they have sex with them like what's going they, on they bear no fruit yeah. <laughs> so. or vegetables or well, anything yeah, or, vegetables, nothing. <laughs> or anything <laughs> anything that's it no nothing, harvest nothing. some miscarriages maybe oh so. um so the group has to de decide and the group has to protect itself they're going to be treated as outcasts so over time, they develop ways to deal with this. Their, their culture adapts to deal with this biological phenomenon and the cultural responses to the biological phenomenon, like like ostracization and isolation. So their language morphs like other like other groups that were in the Americas when the Spanish arrived, they create kind of pigeons and then creoles. So they got their own language. Huh. And we had a lot of fun with that. And a linguist or an anthropology friend who's a bit of a linguist helped me develop that. But the idea is that their language allows them to kind of hide in plain sight alongside the Spanish. It just sounds like nonsense to a Spanish speaker, but huh. they've, there are some rules and stuff that govern it. Um, but then they also develop these cultural explanations like why can't we have kids and so they think they're cursed and that's the story they tell kids growing up like if you leave if you go and try to explore the world or you know live in live with the spanish or go back to mainland um, south america and or migrate to the u.s you're going to be cursed never to have children um and they're just explaining what they're seeing right. but it goes into this mythology among them What's well, so interesting? Right, so in a way, they are cursed, but they're they're you know attributing that to the normal, uh, the supernatural version of curse. Exactly, yeah. and that's where religion comes from. A lot of times is trying uh, to explain the unexplainable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is this is amazing. I love this. So, uh, 
let's take a step back now and some some very basic science. I am somewhat up. I'm more up on as as listeners to uh, our ser- if they're longtime listeners might know. I'm more up on physics than mm. biology. Let's say, and there's a very basic reason for that. When I was growing up, I don't know why, but uh, I liked physics and astronomy because they are what they what I would call the dry sciences. You don't have to touch anything messy or stinky <laughs> or goopy. Uh, it may have begun when we had to dissect fetal pigs in yeah. biology class. I mean, I, it makes me sick just thinking about it now. It, and it wasn't, it, it was gross enough, but the smell of the formaldehyde, and all, oh, it was just a horror. It was a traumatic experience. And from I that, liked it. You liked it, see? <laughs> it makes sense. No, Not I hate formaldehyde, but the actual like looking under the surface and finding out what was there. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and uh, classmate of mine who you know ended up becoming uh, we're lifelong friends uh, ever since. But yeah, he loved it. He loved it. And so, which was good because it meant we we didn't fail the assignment. It was just he yes. he could do all the work, <laughs> and and he would also do things. I remember you know we were hanging out watching TV one day, and there was a, a like a some kind of bug got stuck in a spider's web. And was like, you know, wriggling in the web or whatever. And I was just like, oh, this is this guy. I, I literally would have run out of the room. He grabs a magnifying glass and runs over there and starts, you know, <laughs> watching. And I'm like, wow, that is crazy. So I think right there, we two different species. <laughs> Scaredy cats and uh, courageous <laughs> courageous thals and uh, scaredy Crazy. sapiens. So um, uh, coming back from that tangent of a personal uh, personal divulgence um genes here's a super basic question and for those of us you know we have a wide in our audience a wide range of of um people who know certain things and, and lesser things so a gene what is a gene it's kind of the smallest part of dna that carries information about a particular trait that expresses a particular trait and you've got the um their genetic variants which is what we deal with in in the film where you have um for example something like eye color there's a genetic variant for blue a genetic variant for green a genetic variant for brown um and so the gene is simply like which genetic variant you inherited from your parents and it's important to note that like for most traits it's not they're not governed by one gene like something like the texture of your hair or eye color might be your ability to roll your tongue like can you roll your tongue or not that's actually a single gene that covers that um if you can web your fingers like on star wars star trek Trek, oh my god i'm a a trekkie more than a star wars fan that's that's the 830 not in the scoffy i think we just discovered where the idea that your partner might be a neanderthal comes from (laughs) Uh, 8 30 in the morning breakfast (laughs) so anyway that's fascinating the vulcan the vulcan hand sign i think think that's a single gene some people can do it some people can't actually better forget neanderthal i mean or or let's just say if you can do that you're vulcan you're descended yes. from Vulcan, so that's pretty there good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. to be proud of. Yeah. 
Um, but for, mo for the most part, traits like intelligence and height and creativity, like these are many, many, many different genes that are acting and they're also interacting with environment and culture and upbringing and those sorts of things. So that's where you get into these um, nature and nurture debates and such. But for the purposes of the discussion, it's a bit of DNA that carries information on a trait, I would say. And when they say that, for instance, uh, we share DNA with the Neanderthals, what it means is they, they've actually found Neanderthal DNA. Mm -hmm. Yes. And compared it to human DNA and said, whoa, these are the same. Yes. Which is also one way that isn't that that's sort of basically one way they kind of figure out the evolutionary tree. Correct. As, so evolutionary geneticists um, are becoming more and more able to work with co what's called ancient DNA. So this wow. and they find bits of hair, bits of nail, bits of skin cell cells. Um, I'm not sure if they. I think bones as well that they're able to that have somehow miraculously been preserved well enough over millennia that or tens of millennia that they can go in and harvest cells um do some technical manipulations in the lab to um, concentrate the dna and then analyze that so um they're just wonderful scientists out there like Daniel Reichman and um, the Harvard Medical School who has a lab right next to the lab of Dr. Ting Wu where we who was our science advisor um, that's what they do they isolate DNA from Neanderthals analyze it and then they can it's a computational process at this point or like where you you're into computational genetics and dealing with um, with massive amounts of DNA, like massive amounts of, you know, all those ACGT base, base pairs and just looking for having computers kind of crush the data and look for comparisons and what you've been able to sequence from Neanderthals in this case to what you've sequenced from Homo sapiens sapiens of different populations and find out where the overlaps are. And that's where they're getting those percentages. So they're finding that there's a certain amount of Neanderthal DNA in the places where the Neanderthals lived, which was in Europe and Asia. They're finding that there's a certain amount of Denisovian DNA in the uh, places, people from the places where the Denisovians and other of these like um, early hominid groups lived. Or re I shouldn't say early, it's, it's recent in an evolutionary scale. Like there's some of our most recent ancestors to Homo sapiens sapiens. And the big debate in, among kind of evolutionary geeks is like, are these considered separate species of humans anymore or are they subspecies? The basic, 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 and there are many other um, definition of species is that two groups um, are able to reproduce and have successfully and have viable offspring. So members from two two different groups get together have a child that child can also have a child so no ligers no tigers and lions that can produce <laughs> a liger but the two ligers can't produce a liger none of that you have to actually be able to continue the line right. so if i carry neanderthal dna at some point my homo sapiens sapien ancestor had sex with a neanderthal 
so that fails that basic definition. It might not fail some other definitions, but it fails that basic definition of Neanderthals and humans being two separate species. Do we, right? do we have any idea if that, that this may be outside your uh, uh, realm, but uh, do we have any idea if at that time the differences between the two species was clear? Like when they, in other words, would they have looked very different? Would, yeah. it, have, would it have been a scandal to each of those people's mother-in-law. A <laughs> <laughs> well, mother-in-law can be very picky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's other stories there. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a good question from from my understanding. And again, this is this isn't my area of research, but. It, the reason they classed Neanderthals as a separate species initially was because of morphology. It was because of looking at the fossils and saying, and measuring cranial capacity, measuring the angle of the nose, measuring um, lung capacity, and like just chest size, and bone density, and these different things. So when an archaeologist or a, bi- a biological anthropologist comes to look across ancient bones, one of the first thing they're doing is trying to just compare it and based on the bone shapes and sizes decide if it fits within the same species if it's if it's a child or if it's an adult if it fits within the same species and they're comparing that um so people obviously thought that they looked different enough to class as a different species um i think they would probably have looked more robust than homo sapiens sapiens um well i think the famous thing is the brow right right the brow is, is more prominent right yeah that's the that's the the like when you see a neanderthal in like television and film they're yeah like, massive yeah. brow so it's i mean and some people must find that attractive and just stick with star trek somebody did bit, like, once at least way back when <laughs> Yeah, so scandal, I don't know. Scandal, you're talking about culture, and we have very uh, few remnants of culture. Right. So, just those paintings. Right? Well, there's some paintings, so we know Neanderthals had paint, uh, painted. Oh, wow. Um, and also graves with flowers, so that we know they had some sort of belief in an afterlife, or at least in wanting to s- celebrate the life of the person that they're burying like they 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 marked death as an event whoa i did and, not know that so yeah. neanderthals left flowers on the in, graves of their loved ones, loved ones. Yeah. wow in the graves yeah so there are all sorts of rich uh cultures and histories that are lost to time right now yeah so we don't know you know we don't know my guess is that the physical shock of the physical differences between a homo sapien sapien and a homo neanderthalensis sapien i class them as the same species different subspecies so it would be homo sapiens neanderthalensis sorry homo sapiens neanderthalensis homo sapiens sapiens is us like those differences physically may or may not have been a lot i mean there would have been they would have looked a bit different whether they cared or not we don't really know. Obviously, right. they reproduced some of them because they passed on the genes. I think that we, the, I think that we probably. Uh, I'm just extrapolating. Yes, I think we cared a lot because we obsess over any difference. 
Yeah, right, exactly. It's so deep in the in the so deep in our culture nature. Right? Yeah, but you're talking hundred thousand years ago. Our culture changes. Sure. So, but keep in mind too. In this case, the Homo sapiens sapiens were actually the aggressors. So uh-huh. they're the ones who are moving out of Africa at that time, coming into Europe and Asia, and coming into territories inhabited by Neanderthals who are at that point adapted for colder environments and, and different things. So in this analysis, and like in this analogy, the Neanderthals are more like the Spanish coming into the Americas and interacting with the native populations of the Americas. Right. Right. And the effect is kind of the same. Like I, I, I haven't done the research on it, but I think mo- the things that I've heard that resonated with me are that we homo sapiens sapiens probably wiped out the Neanderthals through just out competing, interbreeding, disease, um, possibly weapon use, war, uh, war, hunting, yeah. um, all the things think, that we do today. Yeah, yeah. I think out competing is probably the simple, simplest, simplest explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Just they were better at obtaining resources, so they won. Yeah. So, um, so, so the dark side of it is that perhaps that mating situation was more of a colonial sin not should we not, say yeah not consensual not consensual yeah it's possible yeah. or a mix i mean yeah. life's usually messy it's probably a mix of things but. exactly exactly um yeah there's a soap opera there <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> the days of our the days of our eons uh the, so um yeah this is this is amazing so and, and just one tiny fact that is incredible about DNA that I do understand is that basically <laughs> DNA is in every cell and that DNA contains all the information needed to make, like all the information about what makes that creature is contained within every cell of that creature. So if you yes. just, that's how it works. If they just find like, oh, we found this tiny fragment of a biological material but but here's a little piece of dna that tells it it's that's incredible um sort of like we all carry a uh um a little our program you know the program that creates you is in is in every single cell um so uh if this were to happen um Interestingly, I fear that, and this is a good question. Is this, I, I love having an anthropologist on because often our, uh, uh, more often than not, our, our what the ifs we're exploring is a little bit more down a technical path. And here's a, a cultural thing. I feel like, and I, I don't know if you explore this in the story, we got enough problems, it, uh, right? As you know, uh, today where there's just a difference of, I mean, race would be a huge difference. You don't even need that. It's like, oh, you're from <laughs> my. I have family from uh, a town uh, up near Buffalo called Tonawanda. There's Tonawanda and North Tonawanda, right? They do not get along. Those two people. Oh yeah. Oh, you're well, from North Tonawanda. Well, what it's probably more of a class thing or something. It's like, um, oh, North Tonawanda. Yeah, the fancy people, or or the opposite. I don't know. Um, but but you know we 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 find ways to get upset about differences that are that are so so tiny, and so uh, what would happen 
is this something you explore in the story or not? And and either way, what do you think would happen in our world today if this actually were discovered? It seemed like there'd be some bad things. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question, and I think the responses to this "what the if we discovered a second species of human living among us" is going to range from Meh, nobody cares. It's just a passing fad that is in the news for a week, a week or a year, and then we forget about. Um, and we talked with uh, Dr. George Church at Harvard Medical School, who's a, a very well-renowned um, geneticist. And his response to our story of the second species of humans was was that. I mean, do you remember exactly what he said, Jacob? He, he was like, well, yeah, they probably, you know, that's no big deal. But, you know, he's also... He's a geneticist, so. Right. But I think that any, I think any um, any journalist hungry for a hook or a story is, would latch onto that and turn them into a freak, turn this this small group of people into something uh, like clickbait or something worthy of of uh, turning into, you know, like. We're very good at othering. As a species, we're very uh, uh-huh. good at defining this is us, this is my group, this is who we are, this is um, who belongs with us, and this is the other, this is the out group, this is who doesn't belong with us. And you see this along lines that you're talking about, along class, class lines, racial lines, ethnic lines, gender lines, um, nationality lines, religion lines, pretty much anything that a human can create to draw a line between two groups. We've found a way to create divisions around it, right? Even political lines. Oh, there you go. Especially political lines. Um, Yes. So so this group of people are really, are, I think they're, they, they, even within their own group, there are different factions who want to, uh, who want to kind of hide in plain sight and and just stay within, you know, in, in, marry marry one another and 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 uh, preserve their culture. And then there are people like you know one of the characters in the film who is just a uh, a, a lord, you know, wants to explore the city and the world and and leaves. And is an out is considered an outcast, and there are, there's a subgroup of people who are considered outcasts. You know, even within within this small community, right? So right. So within the community, within the community, the outcasts are the people who want to have relationships with outsiders. That is, the rest of Homo sapiens sapiens. They want to have children. They want their kids to be able to have to be to love whoever they want to love they want to marry the jamaican neighbor that they fell in love with they want to be able to you know just they want to go study at columbia or berkeley or Pitt or whatever like they want they want to participate fully in life in the united states just like i mean i guess we think of them a bit like there's a parallel with second generation and third generation immigrants and in this group that we have in the story. So all the challenges of, do I hang on to my culture? Do I go elsewhere and explore the other cultures around me? 
um, am I able to leave and still be a part of this group or does leaving mean I'm gone? Like they're, they're dealing with those sorts of tensions too, because they are immigrants to the U.S. They are like a, a group with an identifiable culture that's trying to find ways to stay together in the face of modernity. Like they're already dealing with that before the story starts. And that's set in Queens, by the way. Oh, it's set in Queens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, which is a humongous melting pot. Probably one of the most incredible and diverse places on earth. In the country. Yeah. Certainly in the country. Yeah. Maybe on earth. Certainly the most, most diverse in the country. Maybe, maybe on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and so uh, what? What I like to do is, as we near the end of our what the if, uh, our slice of the if, because they go on, you know, the ifs spawn many, many, many more ifs as we've seen, <laughs> and they go off in all directions. But I like to hit fast forward. Super fast forward and go way into the future. Now, it sounds like in... It, in, in Anya, in the film, you are you. Do, it's not the kind of science fiction story where you leap thousands or millions of years into the future, right? But if that were to happen, what do we think the Earth looks like? What if those that group actually was? Uh, let's say they 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 reclaimed, or you know, they they. Uh, Reappropriated all the insults, took them on as their name, whatever it was, caveman, cave people, whatever <laughs> insults the Homo <laughs> sapiens sapiens threw at them, and uh, um, really built up a fully uh, independent, uh, or just basically grew their population a lot, right? Um, so they really are living side by side. Uh, what what do you think happened? If we go, let's go ten thousand years in the future. Which is about ten thousand years is about the length of our so-called civil right recorded civilization in a way. Right. Yeah. Jacob. I think the I, I think the they won't exist. Oh basically. There's no yeah. They're, they will not exist. Yeah. In the story that we told, because once they are discovered and once and, and we're li- they're discovered in modern times when we have CRISPR as a as a tool for editing genes, which gives people who have left the community the opportunity to have to procreate with, you know, the general population, then enough of them will do that so that they the the population will probably just collapse. And I was trying to think up a, a a way of answering it without debunking your premise that they expanded and i I can't quite (laughs) do it um this would be a very small population to begin with um maybe five thousand or ten thousand people like right now so they would already be fragile in terms of genetic diversity and at the risk of eventual collapse just from not getting new members right so they would have to be like out procreating the rest of um, humanity to grow in the way that you're talking about. And so there would have to be some like major cultural shift that everybody likes, everybody loves narwhal culture and wants to be a narwhal. So they're genetically engineering themselves to become narwhal for it to grow to that extent. Could happen. Could become a fad. It could be happening. 
could happen. In which case, like in that world, the new genetic engineering is so common that on human children that um, that we're probably living alongside each other and just different cultural values, like that, um, because the people would have gravitated to one or the other. Interestingly, in that situation, if you can modify yourself to become like this other group, then my guess is that, well, people are just going to modify themselves like crazy. There's going to be so much diversity or something that, uh, again, the group doesn't survive in in Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's, the chances of the narval surviving are are pretty, as a genetic group, are pretty low. The chances of them surviving as a cultural group is really up to the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of the narval and whether they want to keep the culture alive. And we we only hint at it in the movie, but that there is spirituality that goes with that and religion and beliefs. Like, the curse would be gone, but would there be other, would other beliefs continue and other practices continue? Um, And that's, that's a question for any vulnerable population today. Yeah is, you know, do we take the cultural measures to protect our culture? Right. Right. And how, like, you know, how many generations does it take until you, until whatever your ancestors were is just not that visceral on like, yeah. I mean, we, we have, you have a point of reference today, you know, like in your, you know, so like, I mean, like, you know, my parents are, my dad is, was born here. Like, you know, he's Japanese American, but, you know, he's pretty far removed from Japan. You know, whereas my grandparents were also born here, but they, you know, they were first generation. Whereas my mom is from Romania, like an immigrant from Romania. So, you know, I, and, and you know jewish so like you know that's a stronger cultural identity for me than you know the japanese side actually oh interesting (laughs) Interesting. and you're talking about mixing right i'm the product of seven or eight different nationalities that arrived in the in the u.s in the 1800s at different times for different reasons so i mean i'm a european mutt right and that's what people are really good at. People are really good at encountering other groups and finding reasons to have sex and reproduce with them. Like it's, that's why it's unlikely that there would actually be a second species of humans around because we've had so much mixing of groups as we've encountered other, other groups over the millennia. So the whole premise is a little bit, it's plausible, but it's unlikely uh, because of that mixing and that same mixing, especially with gene editing as a tool to help the mixing or help driving things apart, I think it's going to, it's probably going to erase the cultural differences and add sameness over time. And, but, and that might be the same with genetic diversity as well, as we try to privilege certain traits over others and, um, get rid of certain diseases and such going forward. The Borg always win. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and live long and prosper. We get both of those. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, it's interesting, Jacob. You mentioned like your your Jewish side because, as 
a Jewish person myself, uh, this whole story resonates. Now, was any of that uh, kind of thing part of your something, uh, the reason that this story resonated with you? This, yeah, like I said, the invention of the the language and the uh, you know we saw it as like it would be parallel to Yiddish, you know, and just some of the the um, insularity of the culture that we were playing with. I thought of it as ultra, like ultra orthodox, you know. Like for sure, and so, I mean, those, yeah. Like this completely. is this is funny because this entire hour I've been sitting here thinking, oh my god, this is such a Jewish story, such a yeah, like, oh yeah, 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 or Annie sure. Hall, Annie Hall type yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, yeah. So in that sense, it was like echoing just references in my own life. But you know, my mom, my mom's family. You know, they were like the they were acculturated, you know, Jews like who who were uh, you know they didn't speak Yiddish at home or anything like that, right? You know, and they weren't they were not ultra orthodox, but they you know so you know even within obviously you know this within the Jewish community there's just so many different groups and they don't all like each other. That's right. They, yeah, talk yeah, about, yeah. exactly. So we. We're definitely playing with that, like with this group of people. Like, you know, they're not. They're, there's no homogeneity, you know, within the culture. You know, you're not. You're not pure enough, and you're not. It's just endless. That's why I always love when people talk about um, Jewish conspiracy theories. You know, <laughs> it's like if they, you don't know any Jews because if you knew, we couldn't agree on anything. Nothing, nothing, nothing. There's a great joke that uh, if you have two Jews in a room, you have three opinions. Three opinions. That's right. <laughs> That's totally right. Well, this is wonderful because I know uh, this movie, Anya, is going to be a huge hit. It's going to be so big and so popular and so embedded in the culture that Mel Brooks, who will live forever, will make uh, a version where... Uh, a musical. The musical where, this, uh, where the narwhal... Uh, culture really does speak Yiddish. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be the Neuval. <laughs> the Neuv. The Neuval. The Neuval. <laughs> One completely random note, since I always love to drop things, uh, Easter egg for our audience, or just a little fun thing. I was just watching on YouTube, Conan O'Brien does this really long, like hour and a half interview with um, Mel Brooks. Check it out. It's incredible. It's incredible. You should check it out. It's amazing because Mel Brooks, his history, uh, and he talks a lot about the cultural differences and why, you know, why is it that Jews are going to comedy and so much and, and things like that. So the film is Anya, and um, can people see it now? Is it out? What's happening? Anya is available on demand on Apple TV, um, oh. Amazon, Fandango Now, Google um google play right. yeah and voodoo vimeo and it's also on dvd so it's available to watch and um, download on november 26 ah. 2019 um it's also um in random screenings between from now through 2020 where the full list is on anyamovie.com and it's a-n-y-a 
So anyamovie.com. Uh, that's fantastic. Oh, it's, I have an Apple TV. And I'm, I love it, actually. And I'm looking for I, I didn't know I could get it. That's fantastic. Oh, and it says, uh, by the way, on the little postcard you gave me, pre-order now so people can pre-order it at mm-hmm. onyamovie.com. Yes. That is amazing. Well, uh, very excited about that. In fact, uh, um, we, I wanted to talk about uh, Ed Del Bruno and that movie, Painting, um, Painting the Way to the Moon. But I think we'll, we'll save that for another time. Maybe maybe. Maybe I can get all three of you guys together you, you, when Ed is yeah. going to be great to have you guys on there. Is that movie available for people? Yes. Um, Painting the Way to the Moon is on Vimeo On Demand. And you can either go to Vimeo or go to paintingthewaytothemoon.com. And if, that's, if you want one more URL, um, firstencounterproductions.com has links to all of this. So that's our production company, First Fantastic. Encounter Productions. Yeah. FirstEncounterProductions.com. Any other place? Are, are you on Twitter, Facebook, any of those things? Yes. Um, Anya Movie it, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And on Instagram, I'm, um, excuse me, on Instagram is Anya.movie for some reason. Um, Facebook is Anya Movie. Twitter's Anya Movie. Um, my Twitter account is Carolina Taylor, and that's a little more active than, than the Anya account. All right. And Carolina, it's C-A-R-Y-L-A-N-N-A. Is that right? C-A-R-Y-L-O-R, yes. The coffee just kicked in. All right. And you say it right. Oh, good. I did. Yeah, I wondered. I worried about that. And Jacob, how about you? Any, any, uh, a special place people can find you. You are, by the way, you are a uh, producer, director, cinematographer, uh, extraordinaire. Well, I'm not active on social media. So. See, that's why you can be so successful in these other, all these other <laughs> fields. But you can email him through firstencounterproductions.com. Okay, fantastic. fantastic. And find our IMDb links as well. Um, oh, right on, right on. Right on. And yeah, for those listening, we just threw a lot of dot coms at you, but uh, I will put all of those on our <laughs> website. And here's one more whattheif.com. Whattheif.com. You can uh, subscribe to our show, which, if you haven't done it already, do so. That means it's free. And every new episode just shows up on your pod, whatever podcast app, you, whatever way you listen to things. Uh, we are there. If you go to whattheif.com, you click subscribe, you'll see all the things. You choose your favorite. You can also contact us there, and uh, you can listen to all our other episodes, and you can learn about who created this nonsense, and so on. We are also on Twitter, what the if show. Yeah, at what the if show. There's no dot com in that <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh I need more coffee now. The, the brain is becoming scrambled with all these letters. All this stuff, whattheif.com. You can see, you'll find this episode and you'll see all these links will be there. Jacob and Carolina and the movie is Anya. Thank you so much for being on. You are, and a big, I've been doing a number of shows with Matt Solo, so our, our members haven't heard this in a long time. When we have guests, you get a finger puppet. You will each get a finger puppet of a great scientist or science fiction character from uh, my friends at the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. Nice. 
By the way, the holidays are coming up. This is free. They don't buy ads or anything. They're just totally, these are friends of mine. And I love their stuff. They make smart, funny gifts for smart, funny people. Their toys are like in every, well, they're in Barnes and Noble and they're in all the museums and all that kind of stuff. Philosophersguild.com. And so anyone who's listening, if you're interested uh, and you, you, you don't want to wait to get on the show, although I'd love to have you on the show to get a finger puppet, if you go to philosophersguild.com and you use WTIF as the coupon code, you get 10% off. So they make wonderful gifts. You are both going to get your own. And then, you know, I, I don't know, each one, one of those may hold a non-human or non-human, <laughs> non-homo sapien sapien secret. They might have a variant. They may not get along. They fight. <laughs> I see. Uh, Thank you. I see video games in your. There's gonna be a video game spinoff of Anya. Where? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great game, actually. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much uh, for coming on the if. Thank you. Thank you. Now you will help me, and uh, especially because Matt's not here. So at the end, we have a ritual. I don't know if you, if you haven't heard the end of our shows before. Uh, we have a ritual where when we think about all the ifs that are to come, like we never know what we're doing next week. Who does? Uh, the number of ifs, the number of what the ifs, the questions go on and on and on. The, 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 the infinite divergence of possibility is, is horrifying. And so we can't help but whenever we end a show to scream very slowly the name of the show <laughs> if you would join me here we go what, what? the yeah. awesome you had some time dilation in there doppler effect <laughs> see everybody <laughs>